Amen. And let's thank Confluence for being with us today, shall we? Thank you so much. There was a saying some time ago, go ahead, if you think that's a piece of gold or silver, bite down on it and see if it's real. I used to see that in westerns, and a guy would pick up a gold piece, and he'd put it in his mouth, and he'd bite down on it, and he'd say, yep, always got to use the word yep. Yep, this is the real thing. I've often asked myself, what does it mean to be authentic? You go on the line on Google it, and you put in the phrase, what does it mean to be authentic? It'll lead you to article after article after article. We talk about authentic materials. We talk about authentic antiques. We even talk about authentic baseball cards. We talk about authentic Stradivarius violins. And there are people who know who the, what the real thing is. But what do we mean by authentic Christianity? Ah, that could be a little more confusing. In fact, many generations today do not see church the way I see church. Uh, most millennials today see church as relationship. It's not about coming to a building. It's not about coming to services. Many of our millennial generation are tied into Facebook, Twitter. Everything is done on a social network. I think back to the time when the disciples were with Jesus, and they were asking the questions, really, Lord, what is authentic Christianity? What can we really expect when we're, when we're doing it right? In fact, some of the disciples have already died at this point, and the apostles of the Lord are now replaced by the apostles of the church. Paul is lumbering on, and I'm sure he, the words are ringing true as he sat at the feet of some of these disciples and he was being taught what Jesus meant. What happens when I start feeling a little bit down? What happens when I start feeling a little bit low? What starts happening when I things get a little blue and like our we've been talking about in the last few weeks about transitions and when God rocks our world, how do I know when I'm doing it right and what can I expect? Jesus has some interesting news for these people. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, he says, Don't worry about who can kill the body. That's no big deal. Well, it sounds like a big deal to me. That's hardly motivational words. I mean, you sit down at, uh, uh, at a ball game, and, and I watched a few of the, of, of, the, of the, we don't need that one. It's already been talked about. I'll be prepared for the next one. We look at some of the ball games yesterday and we wondered, what did the coach say at halftime to a few of these guys? What is motivational? What, when we come to church, what's motivational that inspires me to continually to know what authentic Christianity is and what can I expect? What should be the reaction when I'm authentic? Jesus says, you know what? You're going to see resistance. You're going to be persecuted. I, I could just see myself sitting in the band of disciples and say, no, well, wait a minute, Jesus. We, we, we've seen you turn water into wine. We, 
we've seen you raise people from the dead. I mean, you've done some really cool things here. You fed 5,000 with just a, a little bit of, of fish and bread. And, and we saw you, we, we've seen you do some amazing things. And now you tell us that what we can expect is persecution. They're going to hate us. They're going to drive us out. And then on top of it, the coup de grace. Oh, yeah, by the way, they'll probably kill you. Nice. But in that verse, he says, but be afraid of those who can kill the body and the soul Be afraid of those who can kill the body and the soul in hell. I guess there's a certain kind of healthy fear that goes on. John Ortberg tells the story about a, a fellow who was drinking one night with his wife, and they were getting a little bit tipsy in, the, in their uh, deal. And so he says, you know, honey, I don't know where he came up with this idea, but he says, we just bought that dog collar, that, that thing that keeps them in the yard. He says, how about if we test it out? So he put the dog collar on. And he said, I wonder how far the dog could run. So I'll tell you what. I'm going to put this thing on. I'm going to get in the car and I'll drive down the block a little ways and when I honk my horn, give it a shot. See if it works. So he drives the car, he's about a block away, and he hits the horn, and she gives it a shot, and I'm telling you, his whole world comes unglued. He loses control of the car, and he starts going downhill. What his wife doesn't know is he's coming downhill, he's out of control, a car is coming up the hill, and he's honking like crazy at this guy. She thinks he's honking, she hits it again. Next thing you know, he's in the ER. Burns around his neck. The doctor asked him a story. Not exactly a Phi Beta Kappa move. You know what I'm saying? Our passage today talks about a kind of Christianity that will provoke reaction from those who are Christ followers and those who are not Christ followers and what our response should be. In fact, if you have your Bible... You might want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. In the New Living Translation, I like the way it states it. It says, therefore, since, since God in His mercy has given us this new way. What new way? This new understanding of what we've learned this morning of Christ in you, the hope of glory. The fact that you don't live the Christian life. Jesus Christ lives his life through you. The Christian life is not difficult to live. It's completely impossible. Only one man has ever lived it. His name was Jesus. The only chance you have of living the Christian life is if Jesus Christ lives his life through you. And since we have this new way, not trying to keep the rules... Not by simple obedience, but by releasing the Holy Spirit in our life, can we understand what it means to live the Christian life? Some years ago when we had a certain quarterback in Denver, his name was John Elway. He was not too shabby. 
It'd get down to the fourth quarter, and we watched drive after drive after drive of him, the Broncos coming back and winning. I, 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 I told uh, this to the Dillon Church when we were first here in June, that I wanted to give it to the larger context today. And I said, you know, it would be unbelievable because during that time, I, I did the chapel services, some of the chapel services for the Broncos. And it would be amazing if John came up to me at training table and he said, Gene, I can't go today. I've got, I, I'm sick. Could you take my place? Now, I confess there would be a moment I would have considered it. And then I would have come to my senses. No sense embarrassing John, me, or football. But John would say, wait a minute, Gene, I've got a plan. How about if, if my spirit could get inside your body and I could control your arms and your legs? You would just surrender your body to me and I would live my life through you. Could you do that? I'd say, John, let's try it. And here we are, three quarters, we're doing great. We're ahead. No need for comeback. It's the last two minutes. We got the ball. We're up by one score. And then I do something fatal. I turn to John and say, John, you can leave now. I've got it from here. Bad news. The Christian life is a lot like that. The Christian understanding of that is just like that. We must allow Jesus Christ to live his life through us. He, like, becomes our, our, very, our very being. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And when we start to take over our lives, that's when we fail. And he is pointing to him and saying, since we have this new way, what way? Of Christ in you, we what? We do not lose heart. You a little short of heart today? Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Make sure that Jesus Christ truly is living His life through you. We never give up. I, I like that phrase, we never give up. I want to propose three conclusions to my message first, and then I'll tell you how I came to those conclusions. The reason present, why do people then present an inauthentic gospel? Why, why do they not present this new way? Oh, why do they keep going to kind of religious thinking and thinking that Christianity is a set of rules? In fact, more people have a, have a relationship with the rules than they do the ruler. And they think that if they just obey these rules, they're scoring brownie points with God, and God will be pleased and bless them. I held up my bargain, God. Now bless me. It doesn't work that way. The disciples are getting a taste of this. Wait a minute, we've followed you. We've gone everywhere you wanted us to go. We did what you want us to do. And now you're telling us that the payoff of this thing is persecution, resistance, and possible physical death? <laughs> Woohoo. And Jesus says, and through Paul, he says, since we have this new way, we do not lose heart. But why is it that some people present an inauthentic, inauthentic gospel? I'm going to give you three reasons. They want others to join in as easily as possible. Number two, they want others not to have to deal with tough subjects. 
And number three, they want themselves to be protected from any unnecessary type of hardship, resistance, or in any case of anybody maligning them. The result is that if that happened, they could just give up. Look with me at the fourth chapter and the first verse. Therefore, since God in his mercy has given unto us this new way, we never give up. Then he says, we reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone, distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it's hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching ourselves. We preach that Jesus is Lord. And we preach ourselves for your servants, for your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. As I said before, verse 1 suggests that we have this ministry, we never give up. My question is, what ministry do you have today? Do you have a, do you have a Christianity that really doesn't really have Christ at the center? I heard a, a sermon the other day from a very liberal pastor who said, the problem is you've got to separate Jesus from his teachings. Jesus was just a mortal man. He really wasn't the son of God. He never really, you know, he never rose from the dead. That was a story that was made up, blah, 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 blah. He said, but the teachings are good. Let me tell you, you can't separate the man from his teachings. The teachings are impossible. It is he who lives through you to accomplish what he wants. When we have what Paul suggests, we do not lie hard, we don't give up, we don't cave, we don't wimp out, we don't get weary and well doing, we charge on, we run the race, we keep the face, we finish the course. In fact, in verses 8 through 10 that follow in chapter 4, Paul says when authentic Christianity is being practiced, it says in verse 8, we're pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but we're never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not knocked out. <laughs> through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be also seen in our bodies. So when we're preaching the gospel, when we're sharing in this new way of Christ in me, the hope of glory, we don't lose heart. We don't give up. Now those who have an inauthentic gospel, what do they do? Well, number one, it says, they, they do shameful deeds. So Paul says, we reject shameful deeds. What are shameful deeds? Shameful deeds are, he's simply referring to that the church and some churches allow the practice of sin in the congregation without saying anything so that they don't have to tell anybody, you got to repent. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes, some of you, maybe some of you who are older, you know, you're over the age of 45, 50, it seems like what was wrong is now right, and what was right is now wrong. It seems like there is no, there, there is no kind of objective propositional truth. Our youth pastor was telling us that he saw somebody wearing a t-shirt the other day saying, there is no absolute truth. He wanted to point out to the guy, he said, you just made one. The Bible is objective propositional truth. 
It makes truth claims. And the burden of proof to reject it is not upon us as Christians. It's upon those who say it's not true. But we don't. We don't allow people just to to, to practice open and unabashed sin in in a church or in a community. You don't allow it in your family. You don't allow it in your schools. You don't allow it in your workplace. Good grief, even the NFL has a perpetuity clause. (laughs) And then it says we don't use underhanded methods to try to get people to come to Christ. We reject underhanded methods. What would that be? Well, let me just give you a very simple one. I can remember when I was a boy. And we were at Bethel Baptist Church in Chicago, Illinois. My dad was the pastor. We were having a Sunday school contest with Central Baptist Church. And and we were trying to see who could get the most kids to come to Sunday school. And so dad, he was really, you know, he was an entrepreneur. I got it from somewhere. I got it from dad. And and, and one day, he's trying to get everybody fired up. All the kids in the audience were going to get them fired up. And so he comes in from from stage right over here, and he reels in a brand new Schwinn bike. All the tassels on it, bell and everything. Some of you kids never saw a bike like this, but this was a real bike. And uh, sorry, Frank. Butler. <laughs> Frank's our ultimate biker in the audience. And uh, he brings in this bike, and he says, okay, he says, the kid that brings the most kids is going to win this bike. Now, let me ask you a question. I mean, just from a theory point of view, how many kids were interested in their friends coming to know Jesus or these kids were interested in getting the bike? You know, the the answer is pretty simple, isn't it? And we do things. We use gimmickry. We use kind of trickery, if we can, to kind of get people to come. And then it's kind of like the people that come to our church, oftentimes they feel a little bait and switch. And then they get discouraged and say, well, that's not what I really signed up for. No, we, do, we rejected the shameful deeds. We reject the gimmickry. And then it says that we also don't try to trick anyone or distort the Word of God. What does that mean? See, people who use inauthentic Christianity, they don't want to preach the whole counsel of God. At Dillon Community Church, we're committed to preaching from Genesis through Revelation. We preached the whole counsel of God. There was a book some years ago by, by a fellow by the name of Menninger who said, the title of the, the book was, Whatever Happened to Sin? We don't like that word. We, we don't even use it in the world. We don't even talk about sin. We talk about somebody making an error. Or, or I, I, I messed up. And then we give some kind of a false impression that You know, we can kind of hoodwink that a little bit. Everybody's kind of doing it. And we minimize it. And you know what that causes, Paul says? You start preaching that stuff, you start trying to get people to your church that way, you start telling people that's about the Christian life, and you will lose heart. You'll give up. And Jesus says, that's why I'm telling you the truth right now, you disciples. You preach the authentic Christianity, and here's the response you're going to get. Now he goes into something else. He says, okay, 
In verse 3, he says that our gospel is veiled to those who, have already, who are already blinded. Paul is making the case that we are not preaching, when we're not preaching the true gospel, the person who's blinded really needs to see. And the thing that will shake them up is the true gospel. What is the true gospel? The true gospel is simply this. If God, if you were to die tonight, and I hope you don't, but if you were, and you were to stand before God, and he were to ask you a couple questions, it might go like this. Why should I let you into my heaven? You know what most people say? It's been my experience. Well, I've tried really hard. I've tried to keep the Ten Commandments. I've, I've tried to love one another. I'm sure God would say, well, you know, that's a good try. And then he were to ask you the second question. He were to say, what have you done with my son, Jesus Christ? And what relationship do you have to him? Now, here's the point. Here's the point. Here's the true gospel. We, you, me, the entire world stands guilty before God because we are sinners. And God cannot allow any unrighteousness into his presence. That's just, a, that's just it right there. That's the bottom line. So Jesus, his son, came to this earth to die for your unrighteousness and give you his righteousness that you might be rightly related back to God the Father. But you see, the answer to that first question is, why should I let you into my heaven? And the guy says, well, I've tried to keep the Ten Commandments. I've tried to be good. I've tried to be a good churchgoer. I've tried to do the right thing. Who are they trusting in? They're trusting in their own righteousness. They're trusting in their own self-effort. But the person who comes to God and says, I'm not worthy. But there was a moment in my day where I transferred the trust in myself to what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I got out of the seat of self-effort, and I went over and I sat down in the seat of the finished work of Christ on the cross, and I began to trust in what he did for me. Have you made that transfer? By an act of your will, have you said to God, Lord, if, you know, I know you've done some great things. I saw you heal my mom in a hospital. I saw you raise this person up. I saw you give strength to that person, but I, that, that just gave me an idea that you were present. I've talked to people who say, well, how do you know you're a Christian? Well, I, I was there when my mom was healed in a hospital. Well, that's wonderful. I'm glad you were there when you were, she was healed in a hospital. I'm glad you saw it. I, I'm glad you were stirred in a church service and you felt a lot of emotion. And I, I'm, I'm glad you cried a little bit. But have you come to the point where you transfer the trust in who you are and all your effort and you transfer it over to what Jesus Christ accomplished on the, on the cross? That means you've left that seat. You're now dependent on Christ and Him alone for what He's done. That, my friend, is the true gospel. And people don't come to that point by hearing watered-down messages, by not dealing with sin in their life, by trying to get some gimmickry to get them to church and make them feel good. They need to hear the plain truth. But when you do that, the result for you is you don't lose heart, and you can handle it. Now, we need to go on because I'm only about a third through this. Uh, now, breakfast will hold. Don't worry. And so what do we do? We just preach certain passages of the Bible because that passage is too tough, and people might actually get out of their seat and walk out of the audience. If I start preaching on that, well, they're going to leave. 
They're going to walk away. Oh, no. No, that's when it begins. That's when the darkness begins to fall. But when you start preaching all that junk about just the, 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 just the little ooey-gooey stuff and you don't want to deal with people's stuff, it, it, you can lose heart. It's like teaching a pig to sing. It's very tough, and it's extremely irritating to the pig. Next, Paul says, you see, the real culprit and is not some human being who has given too tough a gospel, and that's why people have gotten turned off. I used to think, like, if I come on like horseradish, if I preach the truth in a message, people will leave, people will get mad, people will get angry and say, you're, you're being too tough. I, I need a little more ooey-gooey. I need a little more love. Let me tell you something. God did love you. He left his place on high, sent his son down here to die for you that you might have his righteousness. That's pretty heavy love. But he says, here's the reason why people are turned off. Not because somebody is too crazy. Not because somebody's holding a sign out on, on the street. Or somebody's preaching on a street corner. That may have some effect in negatively. I don't, I don't disagree with that. But that's not the real reason they're blinded. Verse 4 says why they're blinded. Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. In fact, later Paul says the gospel is like foolishness to the unbeliever. One person on the internet was oriented on an article that all Christians, all Christians, put everybody, all of us, you and me, put us all in the same boat, have been basically duped. Or that we are, as Christians, intellectually inferior. Karl Marx said the same thing years ago. He said, religion is the opiate of the people. You know what? I agree with Karl Marx. Religion is the opiate of the people. Christianity isn't. Christianity is not religion. Religion is a bunch of rituals. Man's attempts to find God. Christianity was God's attempt to find man. That's relationship. The Bible says that the fool has said in his heart there is no God. It wasn't some TV preacher with slick black hair, a great smile and some presentation, and, and a watered-down gospel that's turning off the world. Sorry. It's not. It's Satan himself. It's the evil one himself who's blinded the minds of the unbeliever. But the one who uses gimmickry and soft biblical preaching and condoning sin just keeps people in the dark. And they themselves, the ones who are transmitting that message, are losing heart. What's the solution? Here it is in verse 6 and verse 5. Verse 5 says it's twofold. Verse 5 and then verse 6. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach Jesus Christ as Lord. And we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. We preach the Lordship of Christ. He is Lord. We repent. We rest. We rely on Him. We're completely surrendered in every area to Him. I remember the story of the chicken and the pig were watching a peace march go by. And the chicken says to the pig, these kids are unbelievable. Look at them, they're marching for peace, for world peace. We should do something good for them. The pig says, what should we do? The chicken says, let's fix them breakfast. Let's fix them ham and eggs. Pig says, I don't think so. Chicken says, why not? Pig says, for you, that's just involvement. For me, it's total commitment. 
There's surrender here, folks. There's a sense where we don't preach anything but Jesus Christ, and then we preach Him as Lord. Now look at the second part of this solution. In verse 6, he quotes the Genesis passage. For God who said, let there be light come out of darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Now i got to tell you, folks, that's what blind people need. I could grab a flashlight here. I could grab somebody up here who's blind, and I could take that flashlight, and I could shine it in their eyes all I want. Do you think that blind person is going to see anything? No, he's blind. What he needs is for the light to come inside the back of his head and go out this way. What he's saying here is marvelous. I hope he can get into this. I hope I can hear an amen after this. Because when you preach Jesus Christ as Lord, God makes light come right out of darkness. That's amazing. Not when you preach some watered-down gospel. Not when you try to, to ease off on sin. Not when you try to use gimmickry. You lose heart, and that guy won't see. But when you preach Jesus Christ as Lord, that's what I love about Christianity. That's what I love about being a man. Christianity is guts ball, baby. None of this soft soap religion junk for me. That's what I love about Jesus Christ. He wasn't kidding when he said to them, Hey guys, you preach the real stuff, here's the reaction. But let me tell you, that's just the reaction. You will not lose heart. Eleven of the twelve met martyrs' deaths. One was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Nobody gave up. And you and I sit in this beautiful amphitheater because we rest on the laurels of guys like Peter and John and Martin Luther and John Calvin and all the guys that have gone before us. They didn't give up. They took some heavy shots. We're taking some heavy shots. But we don't give up. What a gospel. What a Savior. What a new way. Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. People need to see it. And when they do, God said, I'll make light come right out of darkness. And we need to look. And we need to say, do you ever feel like a certain relative will never accept Christ in your family? I've got some. Do you feel like your friend will never get it and get out of their bondage? Do you have a workmate who you feel that on this side of the grave they'll never come to faith in Christ? Do you feel like you might be losing heart today? Do you feel like you're a little down? Possibly, possibly, your message might be incomplete. Maybe you need to give them the real stuff. Don't water it down. Don't be short on it. Don't be apologetic on it. Yeah, you might take some heat, but you won't lose heart. And you know what the final analysis is? Light will make, God will make light come right out of darkness. I had a little sophomore that attended our church in Cherry Creek Community Church. She was a student at Boulder. She was just a little sophomore, tiny little thing, up against a pretty tough prop at Boulder. She was writing a paper on what could revolutionize and transform society. 
She wrote her testimony on how Jesus Christ could revolutionize society. Not the most popular, popular topic, topic of her work. She wrote that She wrote that thing. And let me tell you something. Yeah, the class reacted big time. You know why? Because she was hitting right on the head. And God made light come out of darkness. And oh, by the way, even the professor had to admit, she had a point, she got an A. God does not, God does not leave you. He will never forsake you. And he says, I will never allow you to give it up. When Jesus said, when you follow me, you give it all up. You'll be despised at times. You'll be hated at times. You'll be ridiculed at times. You'll feel alone at times. But cheer up, I've overcome the world. I think we have a lot of people who are disheartened, a lot of people who are downcast, a lot of people who are discouraged, a lot of people who are disappointed, a lot of people who are defeated, a lot of people who are dead in their spirit. We need to be encouraging. I remember a fellow by the name of Billy who was a grocery boxer at a store. <laughs> he was, a, he was a, a retarded little boy, but he was trainable. He had an IQ somewhere around 60 or 70, and he would come in and box. He had a smile for everybody. And you know what he did? Everybody that had a shopping bag that got paper instead of plastic, he would write a little note of encouragement on, the, on, on their shopping basket, like, have a nice day, Billy, or, you know, God loves you, Billy. The manager of the store said, we've got a problem here. We've got four checkout lines, and everybody's in one line. They won't go to the other three because Billy's in this line, and they want their note. What line are, you, are your friends in? Jesus said, I'll be your comforter. I'll be your bomb in Gilead. I'll be your shepherd, I'll be your guide, I'll be your friend, I'll be your healer, I'll be your savior. I'll stick closer than a brother. I'll sustain and keep you. I'll be your encouragement, and I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. Dillon Community Church is committed to preaching the true gospel. I hope that some of you who are here at Summit County will feel the freedom to come in the next few weeks. We're going to go... Beginning on June the 16th, we're going to be going through the Beatitudes. Eight theological statements that summarize the entire Bible. I hope you won't miss this series. For those of you who are going to be here, come join us. If you can't get on the website, all of these are on podcasts. Get the messages. You'll need to have them. But I leave you with this last story. It's a story of David Hume, the great atheist. The great atheist who lived during the time of George Whitfield. George Whitfield was a country preacher, and he could stand in an amphitheater like this with absolutely no, no help from a microphone or any kind of amplification system, and you could hear him for, for a long ways away. He had a powerful voice. And the whole country, the whole town was coming out to see Whitfield. And David Hume was going down the street, heading with the rest of the crowd to hear Whitfield preach. A friend of Hume's who knew he was an atheist said, where are you going, Hume? He said, I'm going to hear the great Whitfield preach today. And the guy said, really? You're an atheist. Are you now a believer? No, said Hume, I'm not. And so he said to 
he said to he said to him then why in the world are you going he said because Whitfield believes it and I can't stay away One of the fellows that was leading the singing today said there's an attractive quality about the Spirit of God in our lives where people begin to ask, what's going on for you? How did you get to that point? I want some of that. I, I want to know Jesus Christ. You believe it, and, and I want it too. And I cannot stay away. My friend, as we close this morning, let me say, this new way, Christ in you, the hope of glory, you will not lose heart. And the second thing is that when you preach the Lordship of Jesus Christ, God says, I'll make light and light out of darkness. Amen and amen. Let's bow for prayer, shall we? Lord, this morning, we're about ready to take communion. And let me just stop in the middle of my prayer as your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. Let me just suggest a couple things this morning as you come. Confluence will be coming up to lead us a little bit for the, some background music and so forth. But we want you to pick out one of the stations that you can go to. Come as families. Come as couples. Go off to the side. Have prayer together. Take communion together. And maybe one of the things you can say as you take communion today, Jesus Christ, I thank you for my, your death, your burial, and your resurrection. And as I take the cup and I eat the bread today, oh God, make me a person who's committed not to a soft gospel, but to a gospel that really inspires, that keeps me from losing heart and causes others to really see who've been blinded because God makes light come right out of darkness. Truly, Lord Jesus, you are my all in all. I have nothing else. God, we commit our time of this communion to you. You've said that those who have put their faith in you, who've transferred the trust in their own self-effort and got out of that seat and walked over and sat down in the accomplished work of Christ, that those are your people. Those are the people who know you. Oh, God, I pray that we'd be worthy of that today. Not because we've tried harder. Not because of some rule we've followed. But because our complete reliance and surrender on your spirit. Only you can live your life through us. And may that shine today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.